Hey, it's so good to see y'all again. Everybody have a good week? Yeah. All right. How many of y'all have taken at least one test already? All right. How how many of y'all felt like you passed the test? Right on. Praise Jesus. The rest of y'all, you did fine. It's, it's all good. It's all right. Just remember, just remember D means degree, right? That's all you got to, that's all you got to worry about. Amen. Amen. I remember I, I took a, a weather and climate class, weather and climate, right? And the teacher, uh, he, uh, he, you know, the guy from Ferris Bueller's day off, you know, the guy, he sounded just like him. I'm not exaggerating. He was like, and this is a rock formation called Igneous Rock, right? I had him at 8 a.m., and he, he didn't use, like, PowerPoint. He used an old-school, like, slide projector, like, from, like, the 70s, you know? And so there's, like, this low hum, and it made the room warm, and all the shades were closed, and it was 8 a.m., and he talked like that. I didn't, stay, I didn't stay awake. Nobody stayed awake, right? The bell would wake everybody up. I walked out of that class every day thinking D means degree. Hallelujah. And I got a D and I got a degree. So it's all good, right? And you can too. All right. So uh, tonight we're going to be talking about a couple of verses in Matthew chapter 22. So if you are holy and brought your Bible, flip to that page. It's uh, page 836 if you uh, stole your Gideon's Bible from the hotel. Um, that's not true. I made that up, but you thought it was impressive, didn't you? Yeah. For like a minute there, you're like, wow, did he really memorize that? I don't know. He's skinny white and has glasses. He could have, right? No. All right. So Matthew chapter 22, we're going to go to verses 34 through 40. All right. And go. All right. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. All right, let's pray. Dear Jesus, Lord, I pray that you would speak to us. Holy Spirit, we give you the right and the authority to convict us of sin and righteousness, to speak to our minds and our hearts and our consciences. Lord Jesus, we want you to be here. We invite you in, and we love you. Amen. All right, so we're going to be talking about love again, right? Last week, Ryan talked about love. He did a great job. Anybody remember the definition of love that Ryan gave us? Anybody? All right, yell it out. Yell it out if you remember it. That's exactly right. I heard every single one of you and all of you are exactly right in what you said. Love is an unselfish choice for the highest good of another person, right? Amen. Okay. So Ryan covered a lot of territory. He talked a lot about what love is and what love isn't. So tonight we're going to talk a little bit about what love does. Cool? All right. So in college, I stayed in the dorm one year, okay? I lived in the dorm one year, and I lived in a dorm that was on the edge of campus. There was like my dorm, seven parking lots, and then another campus building, right? And it was like a utility shed, and then another dorm, then a class. So we were like way on the far end, and it was a small house, 
right? There's only 26 rooms in the dorm. It was really small, okay? And uh, it was called McCray House. But because we were on the edge of campus, we called it McCrack House. <laughs> because one, it was a dump. It was like the oldest, oldest building on campus. And, and two, everyone smoked pot in the back because no one came to check on us, right? We're on the end of campus. Nobody cares. It was McCrack House, right? I didn't smoke pot. Don't worry, okay? I was like, that's the devil's lettuce. Put it down now, right? Okay. So my best friend and I, we're like, we're like, hey, let's live in the dorms, right? We had this sweet house, like, outside the city limits with, like, pasture land, and there was, like, cows on it, and we'd shoot the cows with our BB guns when we got bored, and it was great, right? But one year, we're like, you know what? We can't reach the campus, and so we're not on the campus. So we're like, sign up for the dorms, and we're thinking we're going to get the new ones that are, like, you know, seven stories tall, and it's, like, apartment-style living, and you can go down to the game room and play ping-pong with your friends, right? No, we got my crack house, right? And we're like, dang it. But we suffer for Jesus, right? And we live in this tiny room and our sweet mates constantly left like toilet paper all over the place. You know what I'm talking about? Like you have like the adjoining bathrooms. Do they still have that at all? Isn't that the worst? Like it makes me want to like hurt people when bathrooms are messy. I go there to to get clean. You know what I mean? Anyway, okay, that's total tangent. But okay, my best friend, right? His name is Michael Jackson. Okay. Michael Jackson, he's a short, fat, white guy that can't dance, nor can he sing, right? If you ever see him, you're like, that's the anti-Michael Jackson. If anti-Michael Jackson and Michael Jackson were to touch, there'd be an explosion. It's like matter and antimatter, right? They just cancel each other out, right? But my best friend, his name is Michael Jackson. We had been friends since we were like 12, since junior high, right? And we were like the bottom feeders, like, so that's why we were friends, because we were like the dumbest kids in school and didn't know what was going on in life. That's how we became friends, right? I look like me, so I got picked on. His name's Michael Jackson, so he got picked on. We got, we bonded, you know? So Michael and I are living together, and I inadvertently tortured him. Okay, so at this time in my life, uh, it was on accident, so don't even look at me like that, Beth, all right? At this time in my life, I was working 60 to 70 hours a week, right, taking a full load of courses, right? I'm taking five classes a semester, and I'm leading a small group, right? I didn't sleep much, right? I'm getting like four hours of sleep a night. You know, my blood test comes back as like blood type coffee, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, I had so much caffeine coursing in my veins. It was bad, right? So I had that 8 a.m. class, right, weather and climate. It's so hard to get up for. And, and at the time, I had this wonderful girlfriend who is now my wife, Katie, right? Praise God. Fellas, marry up. It's so helpful. <laughs> right? But I'm like, hey, babe, I, I'm having a hard time waking up in the morning. Can you please call me and, and make sure that I'm up? You'll call me at 7 o'clock in the morning so that I can make it to my 8 a.m. class. She's like, yeah, sure, because she's a great person, right? Okay, so... What you don't know is this is back in the day before smartphones, okay? So I had one of those brick Nokia phones, you know? And, like, if you threw it at somebody, you'd kill them, right? <laughs> but the charge could last for, like, four years. You're like, oh, I buried this in my backyard and I haven't charged it since, like, you know, 2000 B.C. Look, still works. It, it was great. Now I look at my iPhone wrong and it's like, yeah, I'm dead. You're like, why? Why did you do this? Anyway, so... Right? The only customizable cool thing that you could do on those phones is you could download a six-second clip of a song to make it your ringtone. 
six-second clip, okay? So I picked this cheesy song because my buddy Michael and I, we love to make fun of like the late 70s, early 80s anthem arena rock bands like Journey and Boston and Foreigner, right? All bands that you have heard of, correct? Yeah, don't lie to me. All right, so Boston had this song called More Than a Feelin'. You know what I'm saying? Okay. So if I was a good pastor, I would have like pulled up a song clip for you to listen to. But because I'm not a good pastor, I'm going to sing it for you, right? So the six-second clip that I had assigned as my wife's or girlfriend's then ringtone was, More than a feeling, more than a feeling. And that was it. That was it. Right? You can catch me on uh, next season of America's Got Talent. Okay, I'll be the guy that Simon shoots. Anyway, make it stop! Anyway, uh, so, anyway, so my, my wife would call. Like, Katie would call me, then girlfriend, right? Uh, it wasn't weird. Um, and so, I'm a heavy sleeper, okay? And I would sleep through this. Uh, there were times when I'd wake up, right, at 7.20. Remember, I asked her to call at 7 o'clock, and, and my wonderful girlfriend is dedicated, and she's like, he asked me to do something, so I'm going to do it. So she's been calling me for 20 minutes. And my roommate, Michael, who is a light sleeper, has been hearing more than a feeling, more than a feeling, every six seconds for 20 minutes. To this day. To this day, it's been almost 20 years, to this day, if you play that song for him, you will see him recoil in rage. <laughs> I broke him. Right? So, more than a feeling. The song was about love, right? And I, I think, actually, it was Journey, it wasn't Boston, my bad. But Journey, right, wrote a song about love saying it was more than a feeling, right? And I think they're right, and that six-second clip that is embedded in my friend's conscience for the rest, I bet you his dying breath. It'd be like, Michael, give us your last words. And it'll just be like, more than a feeling. Why did I say that? And then he'll die, right? <laughs> but it's true, right? Love is more than a feeling, right? And Ryan talked about that. And we're going to expand upon it right now, right? So Ryan, he talked about, what love is, okay? And I'm going to talk about what love does. And to quote another great 80s band, Foreigner, right? I want to know what love is. Ryan told you. And I'm going to show you. Right? Right? You like that? Two 80s bands worked into a sermon in like five minutes. There's, there's got to be some kind of metal waiting for me, right? While y'all are like, are you going to talk about Jesus or just talk about really cheesy bands? We'll see. Right? So from this passage, we can pull out some features of love. From what Jesus told us, the two greatest commandments are. There's some things that we can glean from it. And some things that, you know, Journey already figured out that we're going to learn. Right? That love is more than a feeling. So by the way that Jesus talks about these things and frames these commandments, we can see that Jesus is working from another context that we are. Right? He has a different concept of love than we do. Does that make sense? So in our modern sensibilities, right, the way that we tend to approach the idea of love, it's like a fluttery feeling that you get when the right person walks into a room, right? 
Or that warm and fuzzy feeling when your mom gives you a hug, right? It's, it's like something that's kind of vague and nebulous that you kind of stumble into when the circumstances are right. Does that make sense? So the way that we think about love is kind of the way that I get indigestion. If I eat pepperoni pizza too late, I'm going to get heartburn and I just kind of do it, right? It just kind of happens to me. And that's the way that we think about love. I mean, if we're honest, right? It's like, oh, I don't feel like I'm in love anymore. Well, how did, what does that even mean, right? But no, we need to remember journey, right? It's more than a feeling. And that's the way that Jesus approaches this. So the first great commandment that Jesus gives, right, is, is rooted in the Shema. And his idea of love is rooted in the Shema. And you're like, what's the Shema? Are you stuttering? Are you having a stroke? What's going on? No. Okay, the Shema comes from Deuteronomy 6, right, verse 4. And it's a prayer that every young Jewish boy learned to pray. And if you were really religious, you prayed it every morning and every night. And it says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Right? And so Jesus is saying this, the Shema, the thing that you've prayed every day, that's the greatest commandment. That's the most important thing, to love your God. But what's interesting, right, is we see this word here. Oh, Israel, right at the beginning, here. That is where the word Shema is. Here. But in the Hebrew, of course, words are fun, right? Shema does not just mean listen. It also means obey. It means to listen and obey, to hear and apply. That's why Jesus repeatedly says, To him who has ears, let him hear. Right? So the implication here is that if you don't obey, then you didn't really hear. Does that make sense? So, how can a feeling obey? If love is just a feeling, how can it obey? Can you make your feelings listen to you? No, I can't either. Neither can my three-year-old when I asked him to put his shoes on this morning. He was not happy. Right? So, Jesus has given us an impossible command. How can we make a feeling obey unless love is not a feeling? Does that make sense? So, we can rightly conclude... That love is not a feeling because you cannot command a feeling any more than you can grasp the air. So, Jesus is telling us not to do the impossible, but he's telling us that love is more than a feeling. Right? So, if love is more than a feeling, does that mean it's devoid of feelings? Not at all. Right? So, on the spectrum of personalities... Okay, I'm going to give you a little insight into who I am if you haven't picked it up already. Okay, spectrum of personalities. You have like lovey-dovey people that like the world is rainbows and cupcakes and unicorns, right? And then on this side, you have Spock. And that's me, right? That, I, I'm on this side, right? 
I, I don't understand human emotion. I just know that I need to like exhibit some of those sometimes. Oh, they're crying. I too feel bad sometimes, fellow human. Pray for my children. Right? But no, love is not devoid of emotion. Right? Your feelings are there for a reason. Your feelings are there to help you inform reality, to inform your experiences, to help you have an emotive understanding of what's going on in the world. But, hear me, and this is very important for all of you, feelings are not the test of truth. Feelings are not the test of truth. Just because you feel something doesn't mean that it's necessarily real. I'm a 36-year-old man, but when I walk through my house and all the lights are off, I feel like somebody's watching me. You will see a grown man run through his house. I'm even scared. I'm being honest. It's all right. We all do it. Right? So feelings aren't the test of truth. But here's what feelings do do, is that they follow actions. Feelings follow actions. Even deep down in the biology of human beings, even if you want to just take it from a meat machine perspective, feelings follow actions. When you do something good, there's a chemical in your brain that is released. It's called dopamine. And then your brain gets addicted to that, and it constantly wants that dopamine release. Right? Feelings, the feelings of feeling good, dopamine, follow your actions. Right? So it's almost like God has engineered us to where our will is prior to our feelings. Because what Jesus is trying to say at the bottom of all this, with love the Lord your God, that first greatest commandment, what he's trying to say at the bottom of all of it is that love chooses. Love wills. Does that make sense? So, there's that person in your life that you don't like, that bothers you, that's annoying. Maybe a roommate that lets their cell phone ring for 20 minutes at 7 a.m. But what Jesus is implying is that you can choose to love them. And your actions are prior to the feeling. Your emotions will follow the conscious, conscious choice of choosing for their best. Does that make sense? Everybody with me on that? That's good, because that's biblical, and I want you to be with me on that. Like Ryan, last week he quoted G.K. Chesterton, right? Chesterton said, the point of beauty and the beast is that nothing is lovable until it is first loved. Right? Which is a great idea, but when you apply it to a personal thing, that means someone has to take that first step. Someone has to choose or will for the highest good of another. And then the feeling and emotion that we call love will follow. So some of you are in these new small groups, right? And you're going through this really awkward phase where you're trying to like figure out like if you care about each other or not. And I'm telling you, you have to choose to care. Does that make sense? It won't happen magically. 
You won't just magically feel something. You have to choose. Okay, so I'm going to step back for a second. We're going to go through a little bit of context here, okay? So we're in Matthew chapter 22. And Jesus does this really interesting, I I love him. He is super clever, and he's actually like low-key, really snarky. And it makes me really feel good about myself because it means I can be super sarcastic, right? Um, Amen? Anyway, no. Okay. Y'all are holy. I'm not. I'm Spock. Um, So at the opening of chapter 22, Jesus is wrapping up a series of parables that he's been speaking. And the one that he tells at the very end is a parable about a wedding, right? And this guy's, the host of the wedding's like invited a bunch of people, but the people won't come. Right? And he sends out servants and messengers to him, and they still refuse to come. And he's like, hey, everything's ready. We just need people. So just go out and grab anybody and bring them in. Just anybody that's willing to come, bring them into my wedding. Right? And that's the parable. And after that parable is told, all the Sadducees and Pharisees know that Jesus is talking about them. Right? They know that Jesus is saying they were the originally invited people, right? But now God's doing something different. He's like, if you won't come, I'll take anybody. Anybody can be my people now, right? And that's why in the following verses, they start challenging him, right? The Pharisees challenge him, then the Sadducees challenge him, and then here's the second round of the Pharisees, right? Like, how many times do I have to teach you this lesson, old man, right? That kind of thing. So the Pharisees were like, the Pharisees were like the uh, extremely hardcore MAGA Republicans. You know, they're like, make America great again. They're like, make Israel great again, right? That's kind of how the Pharisees were in the spectrum, right? They're conservative, and they were like, build a wall around Rome and get all the Romans out of here, right? That's what they wanted, okay? And then the Sadducees were on the other end, right? The Sadducees actually didn't even believe in heaven. And that's why they were so sad, you see. Good night. I'm out. I'm going to end on a high note. I'm just done. Let's pray. Right? And so it's in that context where Jesus has just said to the two ruling political parties... In his day, the two groups that were like had all the money and all, all the power, and he basically, in a story, flipped the bird to them and told them they weren't worthy, right? And then the next thing he says is, Love the Lord your God with all your mind, heart, soul, and strength. And they're like, Yeah, we do that. We pray that every day. And then he follows it up with the second line and love your neighbor as yourself. Dang. So. What I would have done in that situation is ask Jesus, who's my neighbor? And that's because I'm dumb. When the implication is clear, in that parable, their neighbor is all the other people that refused. All the people that they considered unworthy to be invited to that wedding. Do you understand that? So the Pharisees and the Sadducees didn't value the other people around them. They didn't love the people around them. But Jesus did. God did. So um, do we have any, like, 
basic white girls out there? Anybody? Pumpkin spice, shopping at Target. And the last thing to tick off that box, right, is Chip and Joanna Gaines. You know what I'm saying? Pumpkin spice, shopping at Target, Chip and Joanna. Right? We got to go and worship at the altar of Magnolia. Right? So I don't like pumpkin spice. Okay? I'm sorry. And every time my wife goes to Target, I lose like a hundred bucks. Dude, it's the worst. Right? Like, I spent a hundred dollars at Target. What you get? I got one sandal and a sock. How? And also, you can get some really old stale popcorn for like three bucks. And you're like, why? Anyway, so, right? But Chip and Joanna, they're legit. You know what I'm saying? They're cool. I have a new affinity for shiplap that I didn't even know I had, right? Like, once a week, I pray facing Waco. Anyway, um, no, but okay, so Chip and Joanna, like, you know, they, they do that whole like home renovation show. I, I don't even know what network it's on but but hgtv there it is thank you ladies thank you all right thank you you can all you know afterwards you can talk about what you know yoga pants and boyfriend tees you want to wear next week right so what i'm sorry is that nobody laughed at that one i heard a ooh anyway so all right but they, they do this home renovation thing for the the guys that are dudes out there and, and don't know about this right um but they, they have a show where they remodel homes. And it's kind of like a big trend. I think that's 90% of HGTV. I think that's about all they do, right? It's basically this old house for middle class people, right? And, and so Chip and Joanna, the cool thing about them, and I think what resonates about that whole like, concept as a reality show, is somebody walks into a place that's a dilapidated dump and then says, no, nah, this can be great, Right? Like they see value where other people just see a bunch of crud, right? Joanna's like, I can put, you know, blow out this wall and make an open concept because that's, they, they're contractually obligated to say that in every episode, open concept. Anyway, I don't know what that means. I just know that they do it all the time, okay? Right? So they see something that other people don't see. And ultimately, with love your neighbor as yourself, that's what Jesus is asking us to do. Right? It's to walk up to people, to to join in with their lives and see things that are valuable that other people don't see. Right? I'd probably cruise past some of those houses that they buy and renovate and think, you know what this house needs? A bulldozer, you know? But no, they come in and they, you know, sprinkle their, you know pixie dust, and then it's like a magnificent house. But that's what Jesus asks us to do when he says, love your neighbor as yourself, right? Because, like G.K. Chesterton said, something's not lovable until it's first loved. He also said this, Rome was not loved because she was great. She was great because she was loved. Rome was not loved because she was great. She was great because she was loved. Right? So what that means is like Chip and Joanna, they walk into a house that's dilapidated and broken and they love it 
They pour their lives into it. They work to make it better. And then the house becomes great. But they have to choose to love it first. Does that make sense? But here's the beautiful thing. Is that in that idea, that thing doesn't become great because you change it. It becomes great because it changes you. There's something about when you give yourself to someone else for their highest good that changes your heart, even though it may never change theirs. Because nowhere in the words that Jesus said did he promise that they would love you back. Do you see that? See, but once it changes your heart and you begin to see the value in it, then other people will begin to see the value as well. And soon, not only is your heart changed, but the hearts of everyone around you. And then it flows outward, and before you know it, the world's different. That's how Rome became great. One person loved it first, and then others saw that love and followed suit. Does that make sense? I think the, the most beautiful illustration of that for me is, uh, is my second favorite movie of all time, Wally. Okay? I know, I know some of y'all haven't seen it since you were like five, but I watch it like once a month. Okay? It is one of my favorite movies. Okay? So, now I know what you're thinking. I know you're thinking, uh, Wally, in that movie about the fat Americans that got on a spaceship... Right? Okay, if that's what you got from the movie, you didn't watch it. Like, come on, people. So the director of that movie, his name's Andrew Stanton. And uh, he also directed Finding Nemo. But he wrote and directed Wally because he wanted to express God's love for humanity. That concept of agape love, that concept of unselfishly choosing for the highest good of another. Right? And he wanted to illustrate what that love was capable of. And I think it's a beautiful movie. Okay, so I'm going to, here it is. If, if you haven't seen it, spoilers, I'm sorry. Go and watch it. Like, I watch it for my devotional time. Are you kidding me? It's beautiful. Okay. So think about it, right? There's a robot, right? And he's in this really jacked up world. And it's not his fault. But things are dirty and nasty. And he's just trying to do his best to clean it up. And make his way. Right? And then this Beautiful robot from outer space, from beyond his world, comes down, and he falls in love. And he says, that's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. And he chooses it. And then it's his reckless pursuit of her, right? That he finds a greater purpose than what he was actually created for. Not only that, he starts meeting people all along the way and tearing away, like, the virtual reality. And they get to see the world for really what it is. What? We had a pool? Remember? Right? And then he redeems himself for a greater purpose, redeems all of humanity for their greater purpose, and then saves the earth. Are you kidding me? And you think it's a movie about fat people. (laughs) But that's what love does. What's buried at the bottom of of all of this is that love values. 
Love not only chooses, but love also values. What does it value? The things that most people don't see. See, God loves you so much that he sent his son to die on a cross for you. But he loves everyone else the same. See, he has placed in each of us this finite expression of his character. There is a sacredness about you. There is something about your character and your personality that will never be seen again in all of space and time. You show a part of God's character that is completely unique. Never seen before, will never be seen again. And that's the part of people that you choose to value. Does that make sense? Think about how precious that is, that moment of eternity. And this is your only chance to see that. So when Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself, he's telling you that they are sacred and they are valuable. No matter what you think of them, God thinks of them that way. In the words of one of my favorite authors, G.D. Watson, he says, God is so infinite that all the countless millions that serve and love him, if one little soul living in obscurity in some hidaway place fails to fill its mission, God will miss that note in the vast orchestra of the universe, which is perpetually sounding forth his praise. It is not any mere action that God would miss. So much is the love and confidence of some trusting soul. It is not any mere action. It's not what you do. So much is the love and confidence of some trusting soul. It's who you are. See, God loves who you are. And he loves the person next to you for who they are as well. And there's a sacred beauty there that if you don't love them, you will miss. How foolish is it to miss out on a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity? Do you understand? So that's why Jesus sums everything up with saying, the law and the prophets hang upon it. All the law and prophets hang upon it. Right? Love the Lord your God with all your mind, heart, soul, and strength. And love thy neighbor as thyself. All the law and prophets hang upon it. That's because that's it. If you don't value other people, like God values them, there's not a commandment or a prophecy or anything that you will ever be able to follow. But if you just simply love other people, you choose to value them, there's not a law or prophecy that you won't obey. Does that make sense? God is not just showing us what we should do, but he's showing us how he designed the world to be. All the law and prophets hang upon it. You are meant to live like that. We are meant to value one another. That's why it's almost viral when you start loving someone else. When you start valuing someone and giving them estimation in your eyes, other people begin to go, oh, what's this about? Does that make sense? And finally, the band can make their way up. 
Because love chooses and love values, love also has a responsibility to act. See, the value of the thing that you love obligates action. If that person really is in the image of God, then we should love them with a reckless abandon until they know the God that created them. Does that make sense? Because that is what's best for them. If we want to see that image of God in the truest, brightest, purest colors, then they must be close to Jesus, who is the light of the world. In the words of G.D. Watson once again, it is love that appropriates and lays claims to things and takes possession of them. We may see an object, a person for instance, and know him faintly by our senses and then learn much of him through the intellect. But when love comes into action, it seizes upon the object and wins it, appropriates it, takes possession of it, and says, my own. See, there's something about love that when done properly takes responsibility and says, I will value you. I choose to value you. No matter what you do, I will love you until you see Jesus. And that's his primary method to reach the world. Is simply you valuing someone else and choosing to love them until they know him. Does that make sense? It's quite simple. And as you go through this process, your feelings will follow. So, everyone, let's go ahead and stand up. You know, the altars are open. If you want to come up here and pray, you can. But I don't think it's really necessary to have an altar call. I don't think it's really necessary that you come up here and pray. What I think is necessary is that after we sing a worship song and dismiss, that you go out and you love one another. That you unselfishly choose for the highest good of each other. That you truly value the people around you like you value yourself. And so the question is, are you willing to do that? Are you willing to do that? I want to challenge you all to love God better. Will you choose for him in his kingdom? Will you choose to love other people because God loves them? Despite whatever your feelings may say, anxiety, fear, annoyance sometimes, right? Will you choose for his sake? Or maybe we need to start somewhere more safe. Maybe we start somewhere that's not as scary. Will you just simply love the people in your small group? Will you choose to value them for the image of God that they can show you? For that piece of Jesus' character that you cannot see ever again anywhere else? Will you fight to reveal the beauty and Christ-likeness in others? 
Will you in your small group commit to love one another more than you love yourselves? That's my challenge to you tonight. And the only proper response is to hear and obey. So I'm going to pray, then we're going to sing a song, and we'll dismiss, and I'm going to trust that you guys are going to choose to love and value each other. Cool? Dear Jesus, Lord, I pray that, that you would not only, God, convince us of what is true, but give us the courage to act. Lord, you said the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So, Lord, I, would, I pray that you would give us small opportunities to value another person. Lord, maybe that means we do something as simple as buy them a cup of coffee. Or maybe that means we, we have a conversation with them and, and actually just listen and not worry about when their mouth stops moving so that we can talk. But, Holy Spirit, give us those moments, Lord. Help us see those times when we can value others more than we value ourselves. Jesus, we love you, and we want to love you better. In your name we pray, amen.